0: Come on folks,
1: come on, come on, come on! Ha ha ha! The price up! See the freak of all freaks! Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the beautiful Rain! Welcome to Now Playing Podcast's Blood Rain Retrospective Series. I don't know whether to laugh or cry. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. Are you sad, children? Hosted by Arnie. You seem to have your hands full. Justin. I've always admired your spirit. It's a shame you must die. Ed Stewart. Oh, I hear those voices. Your sickly, perverted voices... This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Fear is the way of the Lord, our Savior. Fear is what will keep the darkness from your door. Listener discretion is advised. So let's just make this short and bloody.
2: Today, we're discussing Blood Rain 2 Deliverance. Starring Natasha Maltha, Zach Ward, Michael Perret, and Chris Coppola. Directed by u Bowl. This is the now playing co-host, who's part vampire, part podcaster, Arnie. And Stuart. And this
3: is Justin. Talk to the hand. Boy, when you can't even get the TX back. Like, what happened? She just was too embarrassed by what went down in that first movie? My thought was... They couldn't afford her anymore. Oh, come on. The last
2: movie had a $25 million budget. It grossed $3 million. Mm. So, this one, I don't even know why you make one, a second one of these. I mean, they didn't make a second Green Lantern. So, why is there a second Blood Rain?
3: Yeah, hey, we lost tens of millions of dollars. Let's make two more. Like, I just, I never understand how and why his money losing propositions get these sequels.
2: What was said on the commentary, which was partially in German? Thank you for that, Uva, and taking the phone call from your mother. <laughs> but what was said was scheduling difficulties. Mm-hmm. My thinking is maybe people don't want to work with Uva again.
3: I'm just going out there. I mean, Michael Pare came back, so yeah. And again, she was in in the name of the King, which came out around the same time as. As this second one. Maybe she was just too busy on that film. She can't make five films a year like Uwe Bull can. Can't keep up with him. He's got a pace. So, all right, my next question is... All right, recasting. I could expect that. You can't afford your original star. When last we saw Rain, she was sitting down in some Romanian throne ready to lead some army. Why? Why are we in the Old West with Billy the Kid as a vampire?
0: Yeah, talk about culture shock, right? Like
3: <laughs> I was shocked. <laughs> I had no them. idea. When, when I hit play, I I assumed it was going to be more of that 19th century shit. Yeah, me too. I had no idea
2: what to expect. If you look at the cover of this disc, you see gothic buildings or headstones behind a leather clad woman showing some cleavage and some stomach with her two arms. I mean, there's nothing on this cover that tells you that Deliverance is actually going to be a town in the Old West. Now, just two things on this, both relating to video games. First of all, this has nothing to do with Blood Rain anymore. Okay. We are gone from the video game realm, just like in The Name of the King, stopped being Dungeon Siege after the first one. They're like, mm, yeah, we're not a part of that game anymore. At this point, this is more from dusk till
3: dawn, Texas blood money than it is Blood Rain. Is she a damn fear still? Like, does she have fangs? I don't think I saw a scene where she
0: fanged out. Yeah, with the, with the change of actress and the huge time jump, it it's unclear that this is even the same character. Agreed.
2: I had to look it up, but I have seen Natasha Maltha before.
3: Oh yeah. Typhoid Mary in Electra.
2: Yes, and that I then I'm like, "Fuck me. It's her?" But she also was not bad in Lake Placid as Janine, the
0: attractive deputy, but man in electra hey we've had her in the arcade too she was in doa and she had a part in in the name of the king so we've dealt with her before
3: you know and doa was i almost enjoyed that movie like it was the right kind of trashy like it almost worked <laughs> in a brown arrow kind of way
2: i'll say this there are some kicks done in this movie that i'm guessing Natasia can do they're like These standing still, my ankle ends up at the level of my forehead kicks. Mm -hmm. She does it many times throughout the film. I'm guessing that's why you hire her is because she can do some of her own stunts.
0: Sure. She can't do any of her own acting. So I Mm -hmm. guess hopefully it's the stunts. Yeah.
3: So yes, a curious choice, A, a real, a genuine surprise thinking that I knew essentially what I would be getting after the first movie and finding out absolutely not. We're going in an entirely different direction from anything that resembles video game or previous film. I did read a quote that apparently Bull is a fan of John Ford and Sergio Leone. So maybe he just loved the idea of doing a Western and felt like sticking blood rain in here was not, no one would be mad. One thing he said on the commentary is
2: in Germany, Alone in the Dark was released on cable. And at the exact same time another channel was showing how the West was won. And how the West was
3: won trounced alone in the dark in the ratings. So does everything. You could turn the channel, the cooking <laughs> channel, the the color bars on the on the <laughs> station that went off the air. Yeah, I would rather watch Static with Carol Ann,
2: but I he said he's not angry because at least he lost to one of the greats. And he did go on and on about his love for Leone in the commentary. So, yeah, I guess he wanted to take his stab at a commentary. I mean, they even played some of that good, the bad, and the ugly whistling song in the bonus features. I mean, it's he wasn't shy about citing his influences.
3: Oh, yeah, you get it within seconds when you see the credits here. The sub Ennio Morricone song and the sepia tone photos of the Old West. It's just a culture shot.
0: Not that we can expect it at this point, but, like, I was at least hoping that the second version of the video game maybe went to Western times. But no, that's not the case either. It's just Uva wanted to go here, so we went here. That went to modern day, where she was still fighting Nazis in
2: 2004. Hidden Nazis and killing her father, who was an ex-Nazi, but yeah.
3: Okay. Uh, Let's just get through this then, Arnie. (laughs) give them this plot (laughs) and we'll try to find
2: deliverance in the old west deliverance was a quiet town waiting for the railroad to come through the mayor calls it the quietest town on the frontier and that it was until a group of cowboy vampires came and started (laughs) killing the residents (laughs) led by vampire billy the kid
3: played by zach ward yeah Postal, the guy from postal with a romanian (laughs) accent even though he's an american actor and billy the kid was from new york nobody knows postal it's scott farkas from a christmas story
0: (laughs) he's always gonna be scott farkas to me yellow eyes so help me god
2: Led by vampire Billy the Kid, the vampires fed on the parents and kidnapped the children. Billy took over deliverance so when the train comes, he can turn all the passengers into vampires and send them out to dominate the frontier. His plan is in jeopardy when Rain comes to town. Rain, played by Natasia Maltha, I'm probably pronouncing that way the fuck wrong, kills several of the vampires before she's imprisoned and sentenced to hang. Her effort to escape leaves her wounded, but she's saved by Pat Garrett, played by Michael Paré. They recruit a wanted criminal masquerading as a preacher, played by Michael Eklund, and then they recruit a criminal named Slimebag Franson, played by Michael Tegan. And the four ride back into Deliverance and kill Billy the Kid's vampire posse. Aided by the newly emboldened townspeople, most of the children are rescued. Some were eaten by Billy and company. Preacher and Slimebag are killed in the fight, and eventually Billy the Kid himself is slain by rain in one of the dullest sword fights ever committed to film. As credits roll.
3: If you call that a sword, what the hell? Okay, we'll start with the beginning. Billy the Kid. (laughs) Why did they have to go there? Like, there's a historical figure, he died at 21 years old, I don't even really know what the big deal was, other than he knew how to break out of jail, and yes, someone named Pat Garrett did kill him, why did Uva feel like he needed to incorporate real-life figures into what is an obvious pastiche of a pastiche of the Old West? Like he broached that at all in the commentary? No, I mean,
2: why not is the best I can answer that question with. I mean, seriously, it is weird, but is it any weirder than Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter? Well,
3: here's the thing. I think that can be fun. When you take a historical figure and then mix them with some crazy fiction, I'm not saying that movie was particularly good. But yeah, I'm up for seeing Abe Lincoln slay vampires. I'm up for Billy the Kid becoming a vampire, if you know anything about Billy the Kid. But what they're presenting here feels like somebody attempting to be Dracula. Like he speaks in a Transylvanian accent. Like, he's much older than Billy the Kid. Why confuse things by bringing in a historical figure?
2: And I do want to share one of Zach Ward's quotes, though, from the cast and crew interviews. He said, I don't say this lightly, but I'm better than Sir Ben Kingsley when it comes to a Blood Rain movie. Now, if Ben Kingsley wanted to go do a Christmas story, he could probably kick my ass. But when it comes to blood rain, I'm the better actor.
3: (laughs) Uh, That I won't disagree with. Uh, He at least moves. When when we have this opening scene here, he walks into the frame wearing boots. And I think that's more than what (laughs) Ben Kingsley did. (laughs) It is weird to do Billy the
2: Kid. I mean, my association, you say Billy the Kid. I'm thinking Emilio.
3: Mm hmm. Young guns. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I don't know why you would do this instead of some other person and not even reference any of the Billy the Kid mythology, you know? No. Pat Garrett doesn't even kill him.
3: Yes. Well, he does have a Gatlin gun at some point. It's very strange, but the trouncing of the historical known, they don't use it. I feel like if you were bringing in figures from history, you will want to take people that are well known enough that you could play off their famous image and then, you know, mix it up with some vampire. Like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies or something. You know, you want to do something that people recognize and then throw them a curveball by throwing in the supernatural. I'm all up for I just want to put it out there. I'm up for a vampire western. But I don't know why Billy the Kid is a vampire. The Tremors western wasn't
2: bad. So I'm I'm up for that as well but I need to have a little more there and my first was thinking you know maybe I can cut Uva some slack how the hell would a german know anything about billy the kid american wild west yeah i yeah so maybe he's just grabbing a name he knows but this wasn't written by uva there's two american writers credited neil every who wrote Stuff and he's mostly a cameraman.
3: Yeah, I predict that if they got sucked into the Uva Bowl vortex at this point, it's probably that they're, yeah, makeup artists or someone behind the scenes that wants to really show what they can do with a script. Christopher Donaldson is known for makeup. No, like, that, was, that was me grabbing a, a, an occupation out of a hat. And it turns out he was. Okay. So, yes, these are people that crew and they want to have more creative control on future projects. And unfortunately, they latched on to Uva Bowl. And my guess is they won't work again or nothing that we've ever heard of, or maybe future Uva Bowl movies. But it seems like once you go bowl, you go home.
2: They both worked writing video games as it would go. One of them would go on to write Dead Rising 3, a video game that was out there. Oh, we'll be doing some movies based on Dead Rising. And the other writer did some dialogue for Need for Speed Most Wanted the year before this movie. So yeah, they're not really writers. I gotta think
3: Uva's like... I have heard of the Billy, so we'll make him the Billy the Kid. Yeah, so why is Billy the Kid snatching kids? Like, I don't understand this obsession that we have in the beginning of this movie, where he's going around murdering parents and grabbing this, like he's fucking Michael Jackson, this (laughs) this pack of children that he's going to lead Pied Piper style into the mayor's house to do I don't know what.
2: What? I got, is that he took the children as a way of holding the entire town hostage so that when the train came through, they wouldn't reveal Billy's plan and then Billy and his men can attack the trains and turn everybody into vampires. Now, I do not know what Billy the Kid's endgame is here. I do not know what sending trainfuls of vampires probably in the daylight,
3: off to the (laughs) wild blue yonder, gets him. Not to mention, I don't see a goddamn train track within 50 miles of this place. Like, the train's supposed to get there next week. I don't know how, is it flying? Like, how? (laughs) How? Because there's no track. Like the, you talk about Leone once upon a time in the West and they very much establish the fact that industry is just coming up and the, and the the train is going to be there. We see them laying down that track and, and you can feel that pressure and that tension here. What would it matter if it, it comes next week, next year or 50 years later? Like it just the train is a, a non-entity in this story. It's about children being snatched. And Billy the Kid being behind it, like drinking their blood. I thought he liked the taste of their blood more than human beings, because he certainly spends a lot of time, like, like singing lullabies and biting into the necks of semi-famous child actors, like the girl from Silent Hill.
2: <laughs> okay, yeah. I don't know what to tell you there. What I can say is, I think Uva's going for some comedy because we have chris coppola there as a reporter out on the frontier who's trying to get a good story and he's in the most boring town ever and we've got the mayor there so we have a couple of towny characters that we're following as billy the kid kind of rides in with his posse and takes over the town
3: yeah, I feel like that news reporter character was taken from Unforgiven. There was Saul Rubinek played a very similar role of someone that was trying to capture the Old West and got in over his head when he found out what it was really like. And that could be a fun story. That could be, you know, uh, do you know this actor? He's Is he related to Francis Ford Coppola? We've seen this guy before. He was in the
2: remake of Friday the 13th and in Postal.
3: Oh, Okay
2: it's somehow those
3: two movies have slipped my mind and he's nicholas cage's brother okay so he is a he is that coppola obviously the black sheep of the family if he's doing uva ball <laughs> <laughs> you're not even good enough for godfather three nick cage is doing some shit
2: these days how long till he teams up with uva
3: <laughs> yeah what
2: a combo
0: so we're, we're we're this far, and we have yet to meet our titular character. Where where's Rain been through? I mean, not only not only the beginning of this movie, but for what a century or two?
3: <laughs> she was sitting on that throne in that castle, thinking how badly she wanted to be riding horses. I guess. <laughs> yeah, this vampire movie
2: has had a severe lack of vampires, but when we do see her, it's winter somewhere.
0: Yeah, well, tell that to the costume department because she is just letting it all hang out in (laughs) midwinter.
3: Well, video game (laughs) characters don't get cold, Justin. (laughs) I got to ask, what happened to her swords? Like, did they get stolen? Like, she clearly is just holding, like, shards of a mirror and (laughs) pretending like that is, like, it's a tinfoil cardboard sword that she's working with there. Those are clearly, I mean, just look at those damn things. That is not a sword. It's been a hundred years. I'm pretty sure no sword lasts that long
2: of constant vampire killing use. And it is the frontier.
3: Maybe this is the best she can get. (laughs) She's got to dig up the metal. Like, maybe that's why she's timing for steel to try and get a a sword made for herself. And in the meantime, yeah, this is just how sad. How sad that we went from this $25 million production that we all agreed was quite terrible, (laughs) terrible enough that it didn't need to get any worse. And now here comes a Kari War lookalike pretending she's the (laughs) woman with no name.
0: Oh, yeah. And, you know, any compliments that I may have paid, you know, the cinematography of the last one or out the window. I mean, this looks cheaper than straight to video on video production quality. Same
2: cinematographer, too. It's strange. It's amazing what some money can do for a helicopter
3: and... Filters. Those filters <laughs> last time. Everything was like one color. Oh, yeah. So does
2: she know somebody in this town? Why is she in this town?
3: <laughs> she apparently knows that little kid, Walter, like that little blonde haired boy. She'll spend. She's either here to collect him or she is a bounty hunter trying to get this character we're going to meet in a little bit once she finally gets to deliverance. She's trying to get to Flintlock Hogan. Now, is that who lives in that house? Because this
0: whole thing is confusing. She rides into frame to this house that wasn't very well established. I mean, I'm I'm guessing it's the same house that we just saw in the intro, but it was shrouded in darkness in this opening scene. Right. And here she comes riding up and shouting people's names, but she comes in casually Almost as if she's like an aunt visiting. You know, she's
3: been here many times. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, she's calling for Vince. And Vince was the father that went outside and presumably got killed. We now see his body lying here in the snow. So, again, he was one of the many victims of Billy the Kid, as Billy the Kid was collecting children from all of the cabins.
0: Right. Yep, so the parents get it, the kids get taken, and she meets up with... Pat Garrett,
3: (laughs) the actual guy that did shoot Billy the Kid. Arrested him, and then the thing with Billy the Kid was he kept breaking out of jail. Like, he wasn't a vampire, as far as I know. Nobody even talked about him being that bloodlust thirsty. I mean, like, he just, I think, killed maybe eight people. But the thing was, he you couldn't jail him. He was always escaping. And so, Pat Garrett eventually had to gun him down. And so, they brought in this real-life figure to add some kind of credibility. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Is that a word I'm going to use?
2: But it's Michael Paré, again, who was in the last movie, but not obviously playing Pat Garrett.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm getting the sense there's a few repeats here. I'm getting the sense that, like, there's people that answer Uva Boll's calls, And then there are people that are like one and done. And so Kristana Loken's not going to be here, but the chick from In the Name of the King 2, yeah, I can be your blood ray. For this one and the next one.
2: How dare you speak this way of Typhoid Mary.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This role is hers now, and boy does she own it in this coat and that flat delivery.
2: All I know is she was in Alone in the Dark 2, and I remember what I did to that movie.
3: Again, I think she might be here for the kid, but at the same time, she moves on to deliverance. She doesn't want anything to do with Pat Garrett, because, you know, Michael Paré is clearly a has-been, and she's the star. So (laughs) she goes sauntering into a saloon, because that's what you do in a Sergio Leone movie, and we get lots of close-ups. And we see this outlaw, who's also a vampire, and he's going to play cards with her, and then they're going to settle up outside in a showdown
0: oh but not before he has his huge scene well at least in his mind a huge scene this guy is chewing up scenery like it's going out of business i mean (laughs) i can't believe how long they let this whole thing play out but then again you know this movie's got an hour and a half runtime, and they've got to fill it with something so why not five minutes of this guy just telling his story while giving the evil eye to rain
3: And the special effects department really loves, they have this one trick, they'd use it a couple times, where we get a mirror reflection, and there's like a button-up shirt with no head poking out of it, and we're supposed to be amazed that they're doing the Invisible Man trick.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we're amazed that they have that much money to do what Universal did in the 30s. But, (laughs) (laughs) this is action, I guess, for action's sake. I mean, they go outside to have some kind of a fight and he thinks he's a shoo-in because he's a vampire not expecting silver bullets soaked in both holy water and garlic. (laughs) As if she didn't stink bad enough. (laughs) She's fucking shooting garlic bullets. Well, she still probably has the eye. She can, uh, if she can soak something in holy water, I'm
3: thinking she can bathe. Again, I don't see fangs on her. I'm not even sure she's a damn fear. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, and why did that would be such an easy thing to carry over from the last film that I just pop a different colored contact lens in and there you go. You have a little bit of a tie. Let us know immediately. This is the same character. But they,
3: they were even too lazy to do that. Here's what I'm going to say. I do like Sergio Leone. We did cover the Man with No Name trilogy once upon a time in the West and in America. Is Uva Bull pulling any of this stuff off? He's certainly trying. The model is clearly do the close ups, do the music, try to create a spaghetti Western feel, but also with a Transylvania twist. <laughs>
2: Or not with a monster mash.
3: <laughs> I mean,
0: <laughs> he's pulling it off the same way like very special episodes of the Brady Bunch pull it off when they go on vacation to the old West. You know, this <laughs> I
3: do. I do know exactly what that means. Yes, it's just heaped in cheese and you feel like he needs to go in one direction or another. It either needs to be more of a gritty Western or it needs to be more campy and funny.
2: Yeah. The whole showdown takes too long. I know that in Leone, sometimes it felt like
3: they took forever. They take 10 minutes to shoot a gun.
2: There, there was atmosphere and better music and better acting. And usually, like if you deal with the one that feels the longest is the end of part two. But we had that music box playing, right? It was really personal. And that music box, when it went off, people were going to shoot. Here... They're doing close-ups of her eyes, and I'm like, am I supposed to be impressed by the moisturizer she's using? I mean, I'm not sure what I'm getting. I get the close-up of his fangs. I'm like, damn, brush those things, but close-up of her eyes in exchange? I'm like, you're not giving me anything here that's working for me. And then as soon as she wins that, two more guys come out. She shoots them, and they – Get hit in slow motion? I know this movie isn't all that long. Did they need to lengthen it by having slow-mo shots?
3: I mean, again, this is stylistic choices we've seen Leone do. We didn't cover The Wild Bunch, but that's certainly filled with a lot of slow mo. He's doing a 60s western. I guess all I would say is, if you're parroting that, make the vampire stuff part of the funny. Like, I feel like... You want to, yeah, if we don't have a music box, we need, I guess that's what the garlic bullets are supposed to be. But I feel like it's understood by everyone that there are vampires in the Wild West, and I'm not sure why that's a casual fact. You know what I mean? I feel like more people should probably be freaked out and learning why the undead are here. There's no setup for that. Right. No,
0: it's just accepted immediately. And they bow to Billy the Kid's wishes that he's just going to keep them in the house at the end of the street. And hopefully somebody will come in and save them. But there's no talk of, oh, geez, what's a vampire? Okay, maybe we know what a vampire is. How do we kill a vampire? Can we get together and get these things we need?
2: Aren't you kind of glad we don't have that? I mean, it's it's kind of like in From Dusk Till Dawn when George Clooney gives that speech. They're obviously vampires. Let's not have the discussion about you don't believe in vampires
0: because they're obviously fucking vampires. But that's earned because the action that follows in Dusk Till Dawn is well worth the price of admission. You know, if you don't have a sideshow here for us then give us some of that exposition.
3: Yeah, I think they need to establish the undead. I understand what you're saying, Arnie. The audience knows, so why belabor a point by telling them rules that are well-worn decades of vampire movies, but these are characters within a movie that don't have the same knowing. It's not postmodern. They're not aware they're in a cliched vampire story, so it's just kind of annoying to me. It's actually very annoying to me that Billy the Kid is speaking in a Transylvania accent because he was a New Yorker. And I don't know what they're getting here by mixing in the vampires with the Wild West. I just, when you're mashing up genres, you have fun by bringing in elements of both. And here I see a lot of love for the Western, but I don't see a lot of love for the horror movie. No, this whole kidnapping
2: thing does feel like something that Leone could have done. Like in A Fistful of Dollars, where at the end a kid was kidnapped. But let me just expound. If vampires have been around for hundreds of years, you gotta just figure people have encountered them. This is an alternate reality where vampires just are. They're everywhere. Everybody knows about vampires. They may have come to the New World to escape all the damn Romanian vampires that were around. So I'm okay again with that. I just want to drive that home. But I'm not okay with the story that's going on here, or lack thereof. Yes, to the point.
3: I get that you've gotten a set with a saloon and people got 10-gallon hats, but where is the movie? To say we're in the Wild West is not to say we have a script.
0: Right. I mean, what we're seeing is just, like, you guys keep alluding to it. We're just seeing uva Boll's concept of cool scenes he's seen in other movies that he wants to try to remake but there's no framework around it for us to even try to care about and follow through as the story
3: Right. The solution to this would be in any other director's hands, you would have somebody that would have uh, joy in finding ways to work in horror movie cliches within Western cliches so that it felt like something new and funny. I think you want to go with funny, probably, but you could play it straight, I suppose.
2: Uva's sense of humor has never matched my own, so I'm glad it's not going for Uva funny. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, vampiric blazing saddles if actually funny would be nice.
0: Yeah, any bit of spice to flavor up this dull soup would be, be nice. You know, I don't care if they're going to go lean into the comedy or if they're going to lean into the serious, you know, noirs of it. But it's doing neither. It's just walking right down the middle of this muddy street and hoping that we're following behind.
3: And it's also just introducing characters that don't matter. Like, okay, so Rain gets arrested because the sheriff's a vampire. And so she is going to meet this other bounty hunter, played by Brendan Fletcher who we've seen in other Uva movies and they set up this whole thing that he's going to be executed first. They're both going to be hung, but he's kind of smiling and laughing. He's been tracking Billy the Kid for a while. I think he's got an in. Like they put him all up on the gallows and I think, "Okay, well he knows how to get out of this." The rope goes down and he's dead. And like that's <laughs> it. We never see him again. I'm like, "Why would we even need this? Why even do this?" If you didn't have a twist, if you didn't have a story concept, something for him to do.
0: Right. And they even introduced that he was part of the the Brimstone Society from the last movie. So, like, that's something they're bringing forward. And like you said, they bring him in just to off him immediately.
3: Right. I'm not saying he has to be her sidekick. Maybe you do kill him here. But you give him something to work with. You don't just introduce a character and kill them. That is wasting time.
2: Or he provides information that is needed. Uh, something that Rain's going to use that he can't because he died in the hanging. Or he tells her how to contact the modern-day Brimstone Society so we can end with the cavalry coming. Something.
3: Yeah. Instead, we have Pat Garrett here in the shadows anyway and he's gonna help Rain escape.
2: But not the other guy. Screw the other guy.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, again, you feel like Uva creates parts because his friends call him up and need the work. And not because the project actually justifies adding all these excess characters. There's so many people in this town that, again, we, they get close-ups, they allude to the idea that they have a backstory, and then we never see any follow-through.
2: This was filmed in Canada, not Romania or one of those places. So yeah, people could just be hanging
0: around who Uva says
2: Come on over, I can write you a check.
0: <laughs> is is high midnight a thing, or is that just Uva Bull not understanding that high noon doesn't necessarily mean there's a high midnight?
3: I think it's his attempt at what I was talking about. Like, isn't it funny to have high midnight because it's a vampire movie? Like <laughs>
2: they can't go out at noon.
3: Yeah. <laughs> now last time around I felt a little
0: bit bad about about some of the exploitation, you know, of using actual prostitutes just to get some nudity on screen, you know, that's that's just gross in and of itself, but whatever. I feel really bad for whatever stunt person had to jump into that shitty swampy water when it was freezing cold out for this scene. Because for this movie? This movie you're gonna you're gonna risk hypothermia? You're assuming that was a stunt woman. I'm
2: thinking it
3: was the actress. <laughs> yeah, and Uvabole probably pushed her without her even knowing. Again, he's he's cruel and I, I'm sure there wasn't money for I don't know is this actress a stunt person does she have martial arts skills I feel like she's so not limber I mean I know she's got her kick move but she was a dancer so she can move well, but not fight choreograph. And yet I don't feel like she moves well in this movie. So that's frustrating to know that she could actually, it looks like she didn't train. It looks like maybe she could have done the choreography if they had a fight choreographer and she had a week to work with them. As it is, it's a lot of like, like jumping in the air and kicking. Like I feel like it. it's it's the kind of thing you expect to see children do on the playground after they've seen a movie they like and then imitate.
2: And here she does go in the water. So proof, she can bathe. <laughs>
3: yeah, you're right. That's, again, <laughs> I do not think she's a damn anymore. At no point does she have a scene where she fangs out. Still, Yeah,
0: but she still has the powers that we can assume from that she earned in the last movie. So now she's resilient to water. And in the very next scene, we re- we find out that she's resilient to daylight, too, because she's pulled from the water and wakes up in the arms of Pat Garrett, who apparently
3: saved her. And they decide they're going to get a, a brimstone posse to come riding back to Deliverance. I mean, this is a good idea. In theory, you know, you do typically have a character who gets the shit kicked out of them in the middle of the movie and then comes back with a new team to save the day. That's a Western trope that I don't mind them going for.
2: Yeah, but if they come back with a team... Doesn't that make them less heroic? I mean, when I think of the hero getting beaten down in the middle, you know, there's it happens in every movie, right? I mean, RoboCop, he gets beaten down and has to learn how to aim by Nancy Allen, or every Rocky movie, Rocky loses the first fight and has to come back. But the heroes always come back and show, I am strong enough to go after you. Here, the fact that she has to go get reinforcements... From criminals and it's blackmail like Pat Garrett saying I will arrest you and get the bounty on your head or you can come fight vampires
3: and the two they
2: get are really confusing to me.
3: I mean, one is a preacher that keeps a gun in his Bible. Again, some of this stuff feels like it would be fun in a Leone movie. And he would know how to use an element like that. A false preacher who's actually a wanted man. He's collecting tithe and asking everyone in his congregation put everything they've got. And they slip in the wanted poster in there. I feel like there are moments in this movie that would work in more competent directors' hands.
0: I was just scared that this preacher was Ethan Hawke for a moment there. And I was like, oh, no, Ethan, what, is, what has happened? But it, <laughs> it's not, so.
2: <laughs> and do we want this preacher to not go to jail? I mean, he's standing up there giving a hell of a sermon and then taking everybody's money, forgiveness does not come cheap. I don't even think he's a real pastor. I thought he was going to be a con artist or something.
3: He is. Yeah, he's a, he's an outlaw. That's the joke. I mean, I think that's kind of fun. You know, it, you typically, you know, that that is kind of what The Magnificent Seven is. I mean, it's just oddballs and people that have certain skills. The thing is, he doesn't seem to have anything like that you'd want in a fight. Like, I get that he built people into thinking he was a man of the cloth when he wasn't, but what's his trick? You would want to establish here that he's got a trick shot or some cool gun or or something. I mean, but I, I kind of half like the attempt here, but I feel like both of the people they get don't show a lot of promise in a fight.
0: Yeah, they're just, they're warm bodies that they can trick into joining them, or like you said, blackmail them into joining them. The first one is this preacher, and we spent way too long
2: on his sermon, I think, although the actor's okay. I'm not going to hate on him. But I was wondering why we were spending so long watching this preacher give a speech when I've never seen this preacher before. But Michael Eklund, I'm going to say, not so bad. You know, he's done a couple real
3: jobs. and Yeah, he can sub for any movie Ethan Hawke turns down. Maybe once. <laughs> That's
0: what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't terrible. It was just too much. You know, this speech could have been cut in half and would have been just as maybe more impactful because after a while, it just comes off as as schmarmy, and you get what he's doing. You get that he's bilking this congregation for their money. They could have got to that quicker.
3: I like him better than the next guy. The next guy again is just you know in a brothel. I guess it's an excuse to get this rain to do a little bit of S and M, tie him up, and. I don't know. Is it kinky? Is it sexy? Um...
2: I was confused as hell in so many ways here. Yes, he's in a whorehouse and thinks Rain is his prostitute that night. She ties him up, threatens him, and says, then you're going to join us. And he agrees. But then he goes... You still going to fuck me? And she does. But then outside the door, people are listening and hear Rain go, oh, Preacher. And I'm like, wait a second. I thought this guy, I thought the other guy was the Preacher. Are you telling me the guy who's in a Preacher outfit isn't Preacher? This
3: guy's Preacher? Who's the other guy? Well, Preacher is getting his elsewhere. Are we sure it's the same room?
2: Okay, Preacher is in another room? How, how do I know this? I didn't see that happen.
3: He throws a nickel at Pat Garrett and runs inside when they arrive at the brothel. Yep. I didn't leave it with the impression that Rain and Slimebag did it. I thought, you know, they just
0: kind of smiled and that was that was the end of the scene. See, they smiled, but then you cut outside to a
2: door, hear moans, and then hear the words, Oh, Preacher. So I thought she did. And on the commentary, Uva. <laughs> oh, Uva. Always count on him. American women are such prudes. Natasha, such a prude. I when it doesn't take off her top, she would not take off her top. She had the contract. She will not take off her top.
3: Uh, he, he he is the slime bag. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, again, it's worth asking if if the actress doesn't do what you want, why haven't you hired an actress that will? Yeah, he just
2: ripped on her, called her an American prude, said all Americans are prudes. They'll wear virtually nothing to a party where the paparazzi are there, but you ask them to wear something similar on screen. No, they won't do it.
3: There he goes on Tara Reid again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: that is Tara Reid. He was mad that Tara Reid wouldn't do nudity. He did say that. So he wanted nudity here. And again, the moans, I thought she fucked slime bag. I don't know why she fucked slime bag. I'd rather do the preacher, honestly, than somebody named slime bag. I think the preacher would probably have less diseases, but Hey, I guess you read it differently, and I hope so, because really,
0: Slimebag does not deserve that. (laughs) And sadly, it doesn't mean anything to either one of these characters had they done it or not. It doesn't become anything. They don't become a couple. They don't, you know, end up in a position where they have to, one has to sacrifice himself for the other. It doesn't matter one way or the other if they did.
3: This is the eternal problem for Uva. He has these ideas, but then never connects them to a character. Like, they don't become a part of a story. They're just things that are done. And, yeah, who these people are, we're at the climax, people. She's hooked these two and now they're dipping the bullets in garlic and we're back at deliverance and they're going to die. Like, I mean, that's it. That's all you get. And I just don't think that this man understands how you create audience empathy by allowing us to soak in a little bit more of their personality and allowing more of these moments to create goodwill. Well, how can you do that if you don't see somebody's breasts, Stuart? I mean, <laughs> I know, such a prude. Yeah, I agree. Would, would that save this movie if it were softcore, if she was walking around shooting people without a top? Yeah. Maybe for some, but I really think that with the concept that they're trying to go for and the spirit of a video game, who would want to play a game like this?
2: Yeah, without toplessness, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's feeling weird that the posse is riding back into town and it is going to be over so quickly that I going back into town. okay. going back into town immediately
3: into the gunfight. That was an unexpected move. Yeah. If you're doing Leone, you know that you're pitting people against each other, that there are stings, that there are, you know, bank robberies or things. And and audiences get surprised because they think one thing's going to happen And then another thing happens. And here, this is exactly what you would expect them to do. They've ridden in, and then they start shooting people. There's no twist to this at all.
0: Yeah, the stakes haven't been upped. They haven't changed. It's still just that, you know, Billy the Kid's being a dick in this town, so let's go take care of that. They didn't even, like, add any, like, added suspense to this crew. It's like, okay, maybe you have these four people, and it's like, okay, we're going to go in, and we only have a handful of bullets, so we have to make everything count. None of this. It's just,
3: let's get in there and start getting some bullets flying.
2: Admittedly, they're going up against a Gatlin
3: gun. Sure. Yeah, that's kind of random. It could have been set up in the beginning. Uh, Again, like so much. Again, if Uva was someone that understood we want to see things return and be a part of a story. Again, it was just an idea. Maybe they had it for a day and they said, (laughs) yeah, let's have these characters walk. I do like the fact that the preacher is like... His close-up is he pops a communion wafer. That was kind of funny <laughs> to me. But <laughs> for the most part, no good return on this guy being a preacher or this other guy being a slime bag in bed or whatever he was. I, they, they die and moving on. You know, it's a
0: pretty straightforward fight scene. There's goons popping out of windows and doors and shooting at them, and they get split up, and they're off doing their own things, and preacher and slime bag are pinned down, and Pat Garrett is off doing his thing, but he he comes by to help them out. And just the way this shot was staged, I was very confused. It looked like he was standing in a doorway, like three feet away from the guys with the Gatling gun, shooting down at the Preacher. And he just kept standing there, and they kept shooting at him. And like he had every opportunity to just turn around and shoot the guy on the Gatling gun, but he just didn't do it. So maybe it was just the way they shot it. I was confused. Maybe it was much further away, but it literally looked like he could have just walked over and pushed the guy over the railing.
3: Yeah, it's. I mean, the fight's even more confusing because we're cutting around and, again, nameless townspeople. Some mother named Martha has decided to go out and join the fray, and she gets to kill the vampire sheriff. Who was she? Why would she get this kind of enjoyable kill? Why wouldn't you give it to Rain, who got arrested by this guy?
2: Yeah, the the whole ending fight here is very, very disappointing. I mean, yes, I figured when they came into town... Preacher and Slimebag might as well have been wearing red shirts. The only question I had was, was Garrett going to die? Were they going to replay the last one where somebody she supposedly cared about is about to die and will she or won't she turn him into a vampire? But I had no doubt that Slimebag and Preacher were going to get it. And I was surprised that Preacher didn't get it with Slimebag. That Preacher lived to fight a little longer.
3: Yeah, I figured they were going to get Pat Garrett to kill Billy the Kid because, again, why else would they have historical characters if they weren't going to deliver that historical fact? I mean, they, they just, I don't believe Billy the Kid got mowed down by a Gatlin gun, but they at least give it to Pat Garrett and I think Rain does, like, put a stake in there at some point too.
2: But we have the three Amigos ending. Where the good guys are outgunned and the townspeople must rise up and find their courage to go out and fight alongside. And who's gonna lead this crew? The cowardly newspaper reporter. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he has his moment, right? He gets to tell the mayor and the townsfolk off, you know, and so he finally heads out and leads the charge. Meanwhile, where's Rain? Rain has rushed off to the house where Billy is keeping all these kids and somehow ends up spending the entire time <laughs> of this fight holding a rope. Yeah. That's preventing the kids from being hung.
3: Or are they being hung and she's just not lowering them? I was very confused (laughs) because they looked like their heads were all in those nooses. So holding them up didn't seem like a good idea to me. Right. I think what it was is...
2: If she let him go, they would drop and be hung because, you know, that's what they do is take. I don't think Uva was thinking it through. He's just thinking they release the trap door and you get hung. But she is standing there for so much of this fight and we keep seeing her strain and strain. And how does it get resolved? She does some jump move in the air, pulls out her sword and cuts the rope. She could have done that at any time! Right! She stood there for like ten minutes (laughs) holding the rope before she
3: fucking pulled the sword! (laughs) And again, those kids aren't standing on a gallows. They're just floating there. Like, again, they're hung. She's just letting them asphyxiate. Yeah, there was some sort
0: of counterweight thing, but that just doesn't make physical sense, is what they're trying to portray is going on here, you know? (laughs) If she lets go of that rope, they fall to the ground. Good job. But...
2: (laughs) But if she cuts the rope, the same rope she's holding, if it's cut (laughs) instead of dropped, they're fine. I'm no engineer. I don't know. Maybe this makes perfect fucking sense to the prop master. I'm confused.
3: Yeah, I I think that Uva didn't want to kill kids, and so they mostly live and get reunited with their parents.
2: But they kill so many, including one that's like a graphic three-minute scene of Billy the Kid playing with this kid and ending by drinking him and then showing his gray corpse. Yeah, one kid.
0: And also, Sally didn't make it. That's the last line of the movie is, Mommy Sally didn't make it. I know, darling. (laughs) I don't know if you caught that, but that was... (laughs) That was jarring.
3: Yeah, again, she was the one from Silent Hill. You have the lead of a horror movie. I don't know why you don't use her better. But, again, Uva's choices are so strange. And you do wonder if a lot of these people show up to do a part and then say, fuck it. I'm calling my agent and on the next plane tomorrow. And, you know, they have to deal with them not completing them. It always feels that way. It feels like people are walking off the set and the movie's being completed without them. After they've been established as important people. (laughs) That's probably more truth to that than we know. (laughs) I don't know. Is this movie like a penis? When it's hard, you get screwed. When it's soft, you can't beat it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's find out.
0: Justin, Stewart, do you recommend Blood Rain Deliverance? Justin. Man, this one doesn't even get a good Stefan rating. You know what I'm saying? Like last time we had some fun with that, but you know, this not knowing anything about the game series, popping this one in and starting it, I'm like, oh, okay, well maybe the Blood Rain series, you know, The second version of the game, they moved to the Old West, and this makes sense. Oh, nope, they didn't do that, so we're just in the Old West for no reason. Thanks, Uva, I don't understand why. Okay, great. We're here. Let's see what we can do with it. Oh, not a whole lot. We're just going to get some homages to much better films and have the most threadbare plot that moves so slowly that this whole thing could have been a 24-minute episode of a TV show and we could have been done with it. But no, they stretched it into an hour and a half that just felt like an eternity. And as much as I disliked the first one, that one at least felt somewhat like a movie. This doesn't feel like a movie. It doesn't feel like an homage to a video game series. It just feels like stuff on screen. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to give any more effort into saying how bad this movie is because that would be more effort than they put into making this movie. So, yeah, just red arrow and I'm done with it.
3: Stuart. Well, I think it is appropriate to break this down by the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, I'll start with the good. There's not much of it, so it'll be quick. <laughs> I like the idea of a horror Western. I like the idea of vampires and Billy the Kid. I, it's yet to be done really well. I mean, From Dusk Till Dawn, there was a movie called Ravenous about cannibals. Uh, maybe Bone Tomahawk counts. But I do feel like the great horror Western has yet to be made. And I don't think Uwe Boll was wrong for bringing blood rain to the frontier. I do think this could have worked. I kind of like it as an atmosphere more than that medieval gothic shit we got last time. The bad is really obvious here. Boy, when you're missing Kristana Loken, you know you're in trouble. This mouthy chick is just an awful Clint Eastwood. She is so bad in this part. She mumbles through her line. She has no fun being a badass, partly because she's not one. It's just, she's a terrible blood rain, just a really terrible center for this movie that so badly needs a cool character. I think they would have been a much better. Footing if they had almost any other actress that we've seen in an Ova Bowl movie. I really do think that Tara Reid could have done a better job. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I should retract that. I'll have to think on that one. All I can say is she's definitely bad. And the ugly is the screenplay. Again, the fact that it does not cohere into a narrative is so frustrating to me that we just have these ideas tossed in there and not in any way worked into a suitable narrative Frustrating. Really just, it would have been easy. It would have been easy to fix this movie so that it were merely this mediocre pastiche. And instead, it's this garbled nonsense that we're spending way too long to try and figure out. And so, yeah, it's another blood red arrow. Maybe slightly better than the last one because I like westerns. Maybe. I'm not sure on that one. I'll have to think on it, but it's bad. No denying it's bad, for all the reasons we've stated. But
2: let me damn with faint praise and agree with you, Stuart, it's better than the last one. And I have one clear reason for that. The story was simple enough that I didn't get confused about all the different factions and why this person's betraying that person. This was as straightforward a story as you could tell. And with Uva's storytelling ability, yeah, stick to Dick and Chain <laughs> type storytelling, you know? Just really simple stories a kindergartner could understand. See if you can tell one of those. Don't try to tell me Lord of the Rings when you can't tell me about the three Billy Goats Gruff coherently. So, in that way, it's better. I don't have the total problems you have with Natasha Stewart. I think she was fine if I... Didn't pay close attention. I wouldn't have necessarily even noticed they replaced her, but she's not in so much of this movie. That this movie's called Blood Rain almost feels like a misnomer. It should almost be called Billy the Kid Deliverance. But then nobody's even going to give you the small amount of money they got to make this one. But yeah, it's still confusing in the minutia of what happens. Bringing Preacher and Slimebag into the fold so late as compared to setting them up early and then converting them later on to help... Chris Coppola and the idea of humor being a fat guy from back east learning how what it's like to shoot a gun and be a frontiersman. No, stay the hell away from this. It's
3: the only benefit of this movie is that it wasn't the last one. Yeah, you know what? You hit on an interesting idea. How much better would this movie be if they didn't try to tie it to Blood Rain? If it were just the Wild West with some vampires and Billy the Kid. Like, you really didn't need to tie it to what we did last time. There's almost no tie anyway. And again, I think they just have the wrong lead. She's just not heroic. Well, she's not in it enough. I don't blame Natasha. I blame the writing yeah i blame them all let's you know let's not let every there's enough nooses here for everyone to (laughs) have no but i i kind of agree with both of you i'm not going to say that it's better than
0: the first one i mean but it's it is fertile ground (laughs) that i feel like a better filmmaker could do something with you know it doesn't even have to be blood rain like you said a cool vampire western yeah somebody go for it i would gladly watch that I'm, I'm going to disagree with you there, too.
2: I don't know that a better filmmaker is needed. How about just a filmmaker? <laughs> I don't
3: think <laughs> a schlocky, crappy B-movie film director would have a lot of fun with this. You're yeah. right.
2: I mean, I can't think of any director we've covered more than once who has been as bad as Uva has been to us time and time and time again, where he can't even do the very basics and... It makes me wonder what is his job on set because I think it's probably yelling. We have one day to shoot 82 shots. Let's get this done.
3: Yeah, and I'm making three movies in a row. Like the fact that like he seems distracted by his Ponzi schemes and taking all these people's monies to make all of these uh, multitudes. I mean, like, we're only covering the video game stuff, but keep in mind like he's just churning out product every couple months and I just feel like maybe he would even be better if he could just focus at one film at a time.
2: Yeah, when we discuss next week's film, he was literally shooting three movies at the Oh, good. Day. Like, the same day.
3: <laughs> I, can't, I, I know that I'm going to love it. It's uh, Blood Rain, The Third Reich. It sounds like they're finally getting to Nazis, so maybe it'll be a little bit more like the video game.
0: Th- that would be a step in the right direction.
3: In the meantime, a sequel that is much better than this, Damien, Omen 2. If you want to be a gold-level donor and join us for some demonic spawn. Satan has reached his teenage years and, it, you know, hes it's just as bad as you think it would be.
2: You say a sequel much better than this one. Lawnmower Man 2 is a sequel much better than this one. You're still not telling me if Omen 2 is good.
3: No, no, you're going to have to find out by joining us on Friday whether we actually <laughs> recommend it. But it's better than this. And also before we go, we have got our
2: first giveaway of the new year. Our friends at Paramount Pictures have hooked us up with five... Blu-ray combo packs. Not digital download codes. Five Blu-ray combo packs for the new sci-fi comedy Love and Monsters, starring Dylan O'Brien, Jessica Henwick, and Michael Rooker. In this, Dylan O'Brien is a young man fighting his way through a monster infested world to reunite with the girl of his dreams. It's rated PG-13, and it is certified fresh, 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. So we're giving away five of those Blu-ray combo packs, to subscribers of our InFocus newsletter. This is something Jason's been putting a whole lot of work into. Every Friday, sending out updates about our show and about movies in general and doing polls, a lot of listener interaction, a real lot of fun. He did great job with it. So you can go to our website, click subscribe at the top, and then you're going to see a form to sign up to the newsletter, the In Focus newsletter. And if you're subscribed already... You're already entered to win one of the copies of Love and Monsters. And thanks to Paramount for giving us some copies to give away. And also one last thing before we go. I did want to start off the new year with a little bit of an announcement that we are looking for podcast editors. If you have any kind of familiarity with Audacity and editing and would like to be part of the Now Playing Podcast team just send an email to show at nowplayingpodcast.com. We're just looking for some people to help out and see if we can keep up with doing as many shows this year as we did last year. We did about 105 podcasts in 2020 and you know, it's a big team that makes that happen and hopefully you can be a part of it. So if interested, drop us an email. Thank you to everyone for listening. Hope everyone is safe this week. We will be back next week with Blood Rain, the Third Reich. And until then, Justin Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next time, game over.
3: See you around, Rain.
0: Yeah.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Oh, God, did you see that? Did you see that? Come back to nowplayingpodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast.
0: The man's power grew quickly into a force that could not be contained.
1: Also, at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, the Avengers films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. The rats will be eating well tonight. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We're growing weaker. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating.
2: I may have underestimated your
1: value. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the now-playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Forgiveness does not come cheap find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. That's right. That's right. Donate all that you have. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. Oh
2: yeah, right there. Yeah,
1: right there. Oh yeah. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. If we're gonna do something, we gotta do it now. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Enjoy your stay. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. He's smart, too. He's got leadership abilities. Hell, I admire the son of a bitch. Associate produced by Jason Latham. We will take action if and when I authorize it. If and when I authorize it. Now Playing is edited by Steven, Heath, and Arnie. I just didn't know this shit. Now Playing Credits, read by Brock. You are certainly the most verbose. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. The man said it, and it's true. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. A little cocksucking entrepreneur. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vingonza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Vingonza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. You say the sweetest things. Now Playing is a Vingonza Media Production. Copyright 2020. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Nganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. I'm sick of your half-breed mouth. Goodbye.
0: Directed by U-Bowl. Are we padding the runtime or what's (laughs) that? No,
2: I'm looking for my line. I wrote a line for
0: this. (laughs) It feels feels strangely like the film itself. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) No, the star of Dead or Alive was. Jamie
3: Kennedy, right? Jamie Jamie Presley. Presley. There we go. That's not
2: Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> I don't want to see him, him in a bra.
0: <laughs> We've been axed. <laughs>
2: hey, how dare you talk this way about poison? Isn't it poison ivy? No, it's not poison ivy. That's Batman. Um, <laughs> kiss something. Kiss uh, Mary. Typhoid Mary. how, how